This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the Hill Country Authors Podcast. Not only is the Texas Hill Country the most beautiful place in Texas, but it also has some of the best writers in Texas. On this podcast series, I'm going to explore writers in literally all genres of writing, both fiction and nonfiction. I hope you'll join me in this journey. Today, I visit with Joanne Easley. everyone, this is Tom Fox, back with another episode. Today, I'm going to visit with Joanne Easley. I met Joanne a couple of weeks ago at a bookstore in Kerrville where she was having a book signing, and I asked her if she would come on the podcast to talk about her work as an author, her writing style, and so Joanne, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you for having me, Tom. I'm glad to be here. John, could you tell us a little bit about your professional background leading up to you becoming an author? Yes. I had a first career as a teacher, and then I retired from that to raise my children. And then I went back to school to become a registered nurse. And I did that for about 10 years and recently retired. But all through that time, I was going to writing workshops and taking classes and had an ambition to write. So I don't have any degrees in writing, but I have a lot of practical experience. And once I retired, I determined that I was going to finish a novel that I had in progress and do my best to get published. And you've certainly done that. Yes, I'm very happy to have done that. Was writing something you wanted to do? Did you have a story in you that was just bursting to get out? Did you, or was it something different that led to this latest career? I was always an avid reader. As a child, I got my library card early and I read, uh, even read in school. I had a book open in my lap during class and I wanted to tell stories. And my dad was a storyteller. And I think that's where I got it. But I felt that all my attempts when I was younger fell flat. I didn't really have the life experience to to write the kind of things that I wanted to until I became older. I wrote a novel back in the 90s and had a little bit of interest from an agent, but in between life and moving across country, everything got put in a drawer. And then in Aust- when I lived in Austin, I got the idea for Sweet Jane, which is my debut novel. There was a little writing group I used to go to at Mother's Cafe on Duval. And We'd meet on Saturday mornings and get writing prompts. And the writing prompt was, she didn't get that. And I immediately envisioned a young girl standing at the side of the road. She was heartbroken and she was leaving a dysfunctional family. And that was the seed that was planted that eventually became Sweet Jane, though it was years in the making. I've also read in doing a little research on you and your books that this story had been in your head for quite some time. So how did that prompt tie into that story that was in your head or maybe even in your heart? And then how did you get it on paper for the rest of us to enjoy? I pictured this young girl and all my writing is character driven. It always starts with a character and I wanted to know more about her. So I thought long and hard and just ruminated on why was she leaving? What kind of family did she have? I also wanted to know what she looked like and what her likes and dislikes were and what led her to this point. So those gave me some starting points to figure out her story. And the story actually begins in Odessa, Texas in 1957 when she's six years old. 
and we meet her at her grandmother's funeral where she's interacting and listening to the adults in her life from a child's perspective and is a little confused about some things, but she knows in her heart that she does not want to grow up to be like her mother. Then I switch back and forth between the past and the current story time, which is 1984 in Austin, Texas. And Jane is married and she looks good on paper. She's going for a graduate degree in psychology. She's married for a year and she has never dealt with her past and she's never shared her past with her husband, which becomes a bone of contention. And in the first chapter in 1984, she gets a phone call from her father. She hasn't seen her family since she left home when she was 16. And she reluctantly agrees to go back to Odessa for her mother's funeral. And like her grandmother, her mother drank herself to death. And Jane's had her own problems with alcohol. And she's in AA. And she goes back and she's hit in the face with all the people from her past, from the pastor to the church lady to her childhood nemesis to an old boyfriend and other family members that reveal a secret that rocks her. And she wants to make peace with things at long last. So does, first of all, let me ask you about your writing style, because you talked about working out the characters. Do you just sit and think, and does it happen in your head, and then your fingers are the vessels to put it on the page? Or do you actually work things out with different character development and see where that can take you? What's your style? I develop my character description her family. I even write a family tree and give everyone birth dates and give them their characteristics. And then I imagine how they would interact with Jane from my debut novel. And I get my inspiration from usually physical exercise. When I'm swimming, I get ideas. I, it just pops into my head something that happens in Jane's life. And I go, I'm going to take it in that direction. And then I'll sit down and write. I try to make all my characters more well-rounded and not flat on the page. They have their own dislikes and their own quirks. So it's a long process. I'm what they call a pantser, P-A-N-T-S-E-R, rather than a plotter. And that means that I just take the story and go by the seat of my pants and put the character in situations Sometimes my character surprises me by what she does. And then eventually at some point, I do have to go back and outline and get everything organized. I write a timeline and the first draft is certainly not the final product. I go back and edit. I go to a critique group in Kerrville. We have the Kerrville Writers Association and we meet twice a week and they have critiqued um, my books and the pages that I bring. And then I ask for beta readers. And those are people who I ask to read the entire book and read for things like character development. Is the dialogue realistic? Are there any plot holes, which I don't want to leave? And then I'll start editing again. And I run it through the editing process several times. And while doing that, other things occur to me and I may make some changes but I'm very big on having continuity and making sure that something that I change later in the book, I have to go back and change anything that applies to it. So it's a pretty lengthy progress process 
to to get it a finished product. Have you ever had the situation where you were typing and the words that appear on the page really surprised you as to what a character did? Something along the lines of, I can't believe they did that. And yet you're the author writing the words. Yes. It's like the character has taken over and become real. I feel like I know these women that I write about, that I have created a living, breathing human being that goes out and gets in a lot of trouble. And I have to write her out of the trouble and get to a resolution. But it's true. I I identify with and believe in my characters. I'm just very attached to them. So I heard you talk a little bit at the bookstore about your next book that we're going to get into. And you really describe this as a woman's journey, as a female journey. But listening to you now, it strikes me that this is really an emotional journey, and it could be a male. You write female characters, obviously, but does is that correct to say this is really an emotional journey as well? Oh, absolutely. I don't want to be pigeonholed as women's fiction, though I do have strong female characters, or they eventually become strong. In my writing groups, there's a lot of men, and they have really enjoyed both of my books, which I find I'm very happy about that. Because I think that the stories can be enjoyed by men and by women. And it's very much an emotional journey. The story, my second novel, Just One, is a story that I wanted to tell for a long time. It's, it was easy for me to write because it's set in my hometown, in my home neighborhood. And I've had to let everybody on my Facebook group from my neighborhood know that it is fiction. It is not reality and that they are probably not in the book. Everyone wants to think that they're in the book, but I used it as a template for this story. I wanted to tell a story about first love, the loss of that love, and how this one character could not cope. And she went on a rampage. This is, it takes place in the sixties and seventies in Chicago. And she went on a rampage against men trying to seek like a misplaced vengeance and revenge against the male of the species for her loss. She has convinced herself she will never love again. And she sets out to prove it. She, she stomps on men's hearts basically. And it's her favorite sport. And she does get her comeuppance. She's ambitious to graduate college and she's working and taking one class at a time she makes a colossal error and marries someone for his money rather than love. And after a night that she'd rather forget, she becomes, and she has determined almost from the get-go that as soon as she graduates college and gets a job, she's divorcing this man. But he is lost through suicide and she's completely at a loss and she relies on her family to help her recover. And by this time, she feels that she's not deserving of love because of the things that she's done. And she she goes back and looks at her behavior for the first time. She now has a little daughter that she's raising, and that opens up her heart. And she gets a second chance at love. And it's not an easy path for her, but eventually there's a happy ending to the story. She has to learn how to let go of her first love, that she's just clung to what could have been and what might have. And she keeps totems from him. She has an old T-shirt. She has a bottle of Jade East and a little bracelet that he gave her. And she eventually 
is able to let go of those relics and uh, start her new life. So are both Sweet Jane and Just One Look about women who are reconciling with their past through their own journeys? Yes. And I guess that's, I like to say I write fiction about complicated 20th century women who eventually figure it out. And that theme is going to be carrying forward into my next book too. I'm about 80% finished with it. And I've got the first half out to beta reader and I know where I'm going with it. So it's just a matter of finishing the last three chapters. But it's the story of a character from Sweet Jane. It's Jane's AA sponsor, Lauren. And Lauren is uh, very much of a sophisticate and she's really got her act together and she's a maven of AA and she has done a lot of good work with alcoholic women and she seems like she's got it all together. She owns a food co-op in Austin and has made a success of her life. But she's been in Sweet Jane. She's very mysterious about her past and Jane is curious and she's in a, the hierarchy of the relationship is Lauren is her sponsor. So Jane is reliant on her. And she sees Lauren as a mother figure as well. I determined that from the response that I had to Lauren as a character that I would tell her story. So I had to invent her story <laughs> from when she was a child, I start when she's in her teens and she's, she lives on a cattle ranch in Mineral Wells, Texas. And she had been to New York city to visit her very flamboyant aunt, her mother's half sister when she was 14. And she was very dissatisfied with the ranch life and wonders why her mother left New York to live on a cattle ranch in Mineral Wells, Texas. So When she's 16 years old, she rides on the Miss Mineral Wells float in the Fort Worth Stock Show Parade. And a modeling agent from New York happened to be attending and discovers her and asks her family if she can come to New York to be a model. And her dad was more supportive of her going than her mother. And it turns out that she was allowed to go because she was going to be living with her half aunt. And that didn't turn out too well. Lauren gets in trouble. She has an affair with a photographer and becomes pregnant. And her life just devolves into a series of incidents. And she ends up being an alcoholic and bouncing around, taking what is called a geographical cure, moving from New York to Dallas, back to New York and back to Dallas and eventually Austin where she ultimately gets sober in 1961. So the first 20 years of the book takes Lauren through all of the events that made her the woman that she is. And when she sobers up, she's able to use the nest egg from her first husband that she inherited and open a food co-op and become successful. Then the book skips forward in time 20 years to when a man from her past, who's her third husband, tracks her down and finds her. And she doesn't know what to do with him. So she appeals to Jane, who's getting finishing up her PhD in clinical psychology, to help her figure out her life. And it's quite ironic because she's the one that helped Jane settle her life. <laughs> it also has a happy ending. <laughs> what was the name of that third book again? I'll be seeing you. 
All my book titles are song titles. Sweet Jane is the Velvet Underground version. She didn't like the Mott the Hoople version. And the Cowboy Junkies version was way after. So it's the Velvet Underground version. And then Just One Look begins with the Doris Troy 1963 version of Just One Look. And as the book is ending, Linda Ronstadt came out with Just One Look, which takes Danny down memory lane. I'll Be Seeing You was my parents' favorite song. And I wanted to write a story, a love story, and use that as a theme. And the there's several versions back in the 40s. And I think it's Frank Sinatra and Bing Crosby. They each had a version of it. And Lauren and Brett had a difference of opinion about which was the better version. But... It's always song titles for me. I've got another book that's going to be a sequel to I'll Be Seeing You called Higher Love, which is a Stevie Winwood song. And it's continues Lauren's story. When her, her granddaughter that she's never met after she gave that child up for adoption lands on her doorstep and shocks her. And she has to learn how to deal with that. So that's still in the early stages. So are there any other general topics that you can envision yourself exploring through your work, or are you going to focus on getting three finished and the next one and maybe go from there? I've got several more ideas and I've got that old novel in the drawer that I'm very interested in resurrecting and rewriting. And so I've got a lot on my plate and a lot of work lined up for the future. My topics will probably be working your way through difficult times and coming out on top. Well, Joanne, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time. But before we go, we have a special bonus question for you. Okay. I did not, I I didn't get the chance to ask you at the bookstore. So I wanted to ask you now, what brought you and your family to the Hill Country? My husband and I were working at the Kerrville State Hospital. And we decided that we were going to look for a place to retire. We first took a trip out to West Texas looking for land, and it seems like all of it was flat. So we said, then there's the Texas Hill Country. So we went down the road, and we found, and we have 13 acres here. We wanted to retire someplace with a beautiful setting. We have a lovely view of the hills out our front window. The front of the house is just about all windows. And I just love the wildlife. After this, that horrible freeze Last February, about six weeks later, I saw a beautiful sight. I saw a black buck antelope. We have a couple of ridges down from the front of our house. I woke up one morning and she was standing there giving birth. And I saw this little black buck born and struggling to stand. And 20 minutes later, they got up and walked away. It was just absolutely wonderful. And I've seen roadrunners and... Ringtail, porcupine, fox, possums, raccoons, the axis. There's a herd of axis in our area. And I love the whitetail. The moms bring their babies by each spring and leave them in my side yard so I can watch over them all day while she's out grazing. And I like to go out and talk to the animals. (laughs) Sometimes they actually listen. So it's just the beauty of the area and the peacefulness. 
Joanne, could you, if someone wanted to follow up with you or learn more about your work, what would be the best way for them to do? I have a Facebook page, Joanne, middle initial R, Easily Writer. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter because you have to be. And I also have a website, uh, JoanneEasilyAuthor.com. It's all one word, dot com. And I post uh, news about my books on there. Jen, we're going to link to that and your books in the show notes. I wanted to thank you for taking the time to visit with me. I greatly enjoyed meeting you at the bookstore and hearing about your book. You put a big smile on my wife's face when you described uh, the characters, uh, what they went through in their life lessons. So I look forward to continuing this conversation. (laughs) Thank you very much. I'd love to do that. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hill Country Authors Podcast. I hope you'll join me again in a couple of weeks where I have another Hill Country author to visit with. The Hill Country Podcast has a sister podcast, which is the Hill Country Podcast. We are both proud members of the Hill Country Podcast Network. I hope you will check us out. Thanks so much for listening.